This is Buy-In, a valuation podcast from Horn Healthcare. What's the best news to come from the new Stark final rule? I'm Christy Street from Horn Healthcare, and today on Buy-In, our guest is healthcare attorney Julie Cass, a shareholder with Baker Donaldson in Baltimore, Maryland. Julie is former co-chair of Baker's Health Law Group and among the country's leading authorities in the Stark and anti-kickback laws. She has deep experience related to the fraud and abuse aspects of Medicare and Medicaid and focuses her practice on assisting hospitals, health systems, and other healthcare providers on key healthcare regulatory issues. Julie currently serves as chair of the AHLA Physicians and Hospitals Law Institute. For those of you in the Stark Law world, you'll recognize Julie from her many recent webinars, publications, and podcasts on the topic. We are thrilled to have Julie here today to answer and ask a few questions about the new Stark Law Big Three. Julie, thanks so much for joining us on Buy-In. Thanks, Christy. Uh, Thanks for having me. It's uh, interesting to talk about the Big Three, commercial reasonableness, volume and value, and fair market value. And I love talking about them with uh, fair market value folks, because a lot of times these are issues that I will punt to them, because I think that they tend to go from legal to really valuation experts um, who need to answer a lot of those questions. So it's exciting time uh, in the regulatory world and excited to talk about this topic. Well, Julie, thanks again for joining us. We truly, truly appreciate having an expert like yourself on our on our podcast. And, you know, as you mentioned, the big three definitions, in your opinion, what's the best news to come from the new final rule? I think that what we really get from this final rule, as as CMS says in it, is they've clarified things, they've modernized some things. I think we get a lot of clarity and certainty, especially Mm -hmm. when we're talking about the big three, commercial reasonableness, fair market value, and the volume and value of referrals and other business generated. It's been a lot of fodder for whistleblowers and the government to Uh, bring cases, and there's been lots of confusion over what that really means. And so I think that the definitions that they've created will really help the the industry um, in in having some bright line rules. I agree. And, you know, speaking of definitions, let's talk about commercial reasonableness. Um, We know that uh, historically, or we've seen... um, commentary related to numerous cases and settlements that kind of reflected or it seemed to indicate that if an arrangement wasn't profitable, then it wasn't um, commercially reasonable. And so now that CMS has really made a bold statement and taken that opposite approach, um, particularly with the new volume or value formulation, um, you know, are there, are, are there any sense that you may have um, as to why they didn't codify their position here with volume and value like they did um, like they did with commercial reasonless? So I think a couple of things that CMS clarified are helpful. I think a lot of them we already knew, but it was helpful to read them again and to be very clear about them. One is that each test in the big three stands on its own, right? Commercial reasonableness is separate from volume and value and it's separate from fair market value. I think from commercial reasonableness, the way they defined it, it is still a very subjective test because it's looking at 
you know, using your common sense, is it commercially reasonable for a particular arrangement to go forward? Um, you know, a, a medical director agreement may be perfect for, um, you know, the medical director of the emergency room department at a hospital. And you look at, a, a, you know, one of those arrangements and you look at the contract and it looks perfectly reasonable to have one. And you look at the fact that there are three of them with three different doctors and each one looks fine on its own, but is it commercially reasonable to have three, right? So you right. look at that and you look at common sense and you say, what is it? But it's really still very subjective. And so I think it was really helpful because it's so subjective that they codified that profitability isn't necessarily important. Because a lot of times you need those physicians in your system, especially with everything else they're doing with these rules on coordinating care and creating value-based enterprises, a particular physician just looking at his or her own compensation and what they're able to generate for reimbursement may not be what is a fair market value to pay to that physician, but you still need those physicians in the system. But it's really because the commercial reasonableness test is so subjective that it's helpful for them to say, and profitability is not necessarily gonna say mean that something is not commercially reasonable. On the other hand, when you're looking at the volume and value test, that's a more objective test that they've created. Previously, you know, they had looked and deemed certain things to not be volume and value. Now they're looking and saying, here is the universe of what is volume and value. And they're using, you know, a mathematical formula which I also, I love and hate, right? I like the fact that it's sort of clear, bright line, but I'm a lawyer, I hate math. So having to tell me to use an equation to figure out whether something is the volume or value is gonna give me fits, I'm sure. And frankly, in looking at some arrangements already, it's not totally clear if, you know, how, how some things might work if they're on the, on the edge, but, to answer your question, Christy, they didn't put in anything in terms of volume and value and codify that formulation there. And I think they said in the, in the regulations, and it makes sense that it wasn't really needed. That if you look at the volume and value test that they have now finalized, which is if something positively correlates with referrals or the volume. So for example, you provide more referrals, will give you more per hour as a medical director. That's a positive correlation, or you give us more referrals, we will um, reduce your lease amount, sort of a negative correlation. Um, you know, those things are very much cut and dry. And so I think they believed, and I think they're, they're right, that they didn't need to then codify this in the same way that they needed to do with commercial reasonableness. We'll take a quick break. Stay tuned for more with Julie Cass. Buy-in is brought to you by Horn Healthcare. For over 60 years and with more than 70 dedicated accounting and advisory professionals, Horn Healthcare is a decidedly different firm. Find us online at hornllp.com. And we're back. Let's dive right in. Julie, what do you think about as you you mentioned that, and, and I agree with you. I, I think that that part's very clear, but perhaps where we've seen in cases like Toomey and, and maybe even the Bradford case that there was some argument made where uh, a physician, even a surgeon, um, you know, performs their personally performed services 
And, you know, that that's okay. That hasn't been considered a referral in the past, but, but we know that said surgery also generates um, a technical side and a, a technical piece that is a referral, right. That that's defined as DHS. And so there's, there's been to some degree in the past, an argument that, you know, as personal services increase, so do, um, the potential for referrals or the what would be a no-no, if you will. And what are your thoughts, I guess, as related to that CMS didn't specifically define or say that personal services performed by a physician doesn't, albeit may generate a, a, a DHS referral, it, it, it isn't, they didn't specifically say that that personal service is, is okay. Um, do you have any thoughts on that, Julie? Yeah, I mean, they, did, they didn't say it in the regulation text. I completely agree with you, Christy. I think that's because they thought it was objective. And if, mm-hmm. the, if you look and, and what they say is use a mat- mathematical formula, you have, you know, X times Y equals Z. And so they would say the number of referrals, as long as that is an X or Y, it shouldn't make a difference. And so they, they didn't say that a correlation between, for example, as you, as you say, a surgeon, right? Every time they do a surgery, they're bringing a case and it has a DRG that's gonna be attached if it's a Medicare patient. Right. And so while they didn't say in the um, regulation text itself that that's not going to be a positive or negative correlation because they believe that the reg stands on its own and it wouldn't be one of the one of the factors in your equation. They do provide um, that example as well as a couple others in the preamble that mm-hmm. do ex, you know explicitly state their view that simply because you're a surgeon at a hospital and you get paid on WRVUs um, you know for your work doesn't equate to a positive correlation. So I think that's helpful, but I agree, it'll take some time to figure out what the courts do. I mean, they do specifically yeah. cite to Toomey in the, you know, in the preamble, and hopefully the preamble is enough along with the, the way the reg is written in a formulaic approach. I agree. Yeah, I think t- time will tell. Um, what do you think you know, based on the new commercial reasonableness and fair market value and, and, and more volume and value that valuators, how are, you know, we often ask valuators with some of these arrangements to help with commercial reasonableness and provide opinions. How do you think valuation practice might change based on those new definitions? Julie, I think that's a great question. And, and I'll say this, in, in my opinion, I think that there one, as you, as you mentioned, I think the new, having the commercial reasonableness definition, it certainly adds clarity. And I appreciate the separation um, that CMS has, I guess, created and the clarity associated with it, with, with the big three, having them now very clear, separate and distinct pieces and parts. And particularly with commercial reasonableness, I appreciate while you know, there's been commentary that that referenced it or or had some degree of this is what it means that now we actually have a definition that references that it makes a legitimate business sense. And and I agree that there's still some um, area for professional judgment or or room for, you know, what does that 
interpretation, I, I guess, but I appreciate the clarity there and the fact that CMS specifically felt it was important to include in the regs that uh, the, the sheer fact that it's a loss leader or there isn't a profit doesn't immediately equate to an arrangement not being fair market value because as you and I both know that there are often times in which you have an arrangement that creates a loss but it certainly makes a legitimate business sense it has nothing to do with referrals and so with that said I think it's also important to point out that I think in the commentary there's a, a sentence that references commercial reasonableness is not an issue of valuation as I interpret that I see that as further separation and delineation between fair market value and commercial reasonableness. If we've seen some uh, kind of in our world, different valuation firms and attorneys, clients, et cetera, that have viewed those two um, terms as really being very intermingled and one in the same. And so as, as I see it, I, I appreciate that reference that is not of one evaluation is, is further delineation between those two separate and distinct points. And while I believe it is on the two, the individuals entering into the agreement to really support if an arrangement, if it's a legitimate business purpose or not, I think that evaluators and attorneys are in a great position to advise our clients on the proper documentation that's that's needed to determine whether that arrangement or not is commercially reasonable and as an independent evaluator you know we see a number of arrangements on you know on a daily basis and i think we're in a great position to really evaluate and help that client document document and evaluate whether or not the arrangement's commercially reasonable or not uh, so I, you know as as i see it i think i think that the final rule you know creates a lot of opportunity for us to provide um, clarity to our clients and help um, de-muddy the waters. This brings us to the end of our time for part one in our conversation with Julie Kath. Stay tuned for part two coming soon. Thank you for listening to Buy-In, a podcast from Horn Healthcare. Buy-In is produced by Horn LLP. Stay tuned for more episodes coming soon on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Spotify. For more about Horn, visit hornllp.com.